think that's kind of where I get a little bit frustrated with real estate agents where they're like, oh, you, oh you, you've stolen a property from someone. I'm like, no, I gave them exactly what they wanted. And at the end of the day, putting a sign in the yard for both of those properties didn't solve her problem. She just wanted a clean break. Like, I want out. And um, I have another one that I actually wound up selling to someone else. I actually had another guy that was kind of a similar situation and um, wasn't in an area that I'm interested in. So I passed it on to someone else. And he, his whole thing was he didn't want anybody walking through the house because he was embarrassed of the condition. Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. All right, guys, today I'm here with Lorraine Beato, an author of Flip the Switch, going from real estate agent to real estate investor, a gal who's been teaching real estate agents for 30 years, the last three years focusing on particularly the movement from being an agent to an investor. She's here to empower people, but also especially to empower women. Uh, so Lorraine, thank you so much for coming on the show. Take us into like, what got you into investing so early on in your journey? Well, I don't, I don't know that I'd say it was early on in my journey. Um, we started investing in 2013 and we had attended one of the guru boot camps. And in the Facebook page, I became pretty active, just telling people what to do, what not to do, why their numbers worked, what they weren't taking into an account, into account in their numbers and created an organic following. I didn't even know what the word organic meant at the time. Um, so I created a niche here in Atlanta with out-of-state investors where I helped the investors acquire the property. I managed the project. I picked all the design finishes and then I put the property on the market, creating my own listing inventory. And when I started coming out of, <clears throat> coming out of those closings and I'm like, here's my check, here's their check. <laughs> I said, there's no reason I can't do this. I helped them find the properties. There's no reason I can't do this. And, um, that's. What got me to flip the switch, literally. Um, I managed it one time, I was managing as many as five projects. And then that's kind of when I said, all right, it's time to stop helping other people with so many projects and start working on some of my own. Let's go to some of the numbers. Give us an example of what one of those commission checks looked like versus one of the checks the investors were making that you were helping. Sure. So commission check of about $12,000 before paying the broker. Versus 95,000. So you're talking an eight, eight times difference for, and you're probably doing most of the work for them at this point, if not all, so they never, all the work. They never, most of them never saw the properties. They never came into town. So they're making $96,000. You're finding the property. You're running the whole process for them. And so a lot of agents though, even seeing this, they still don't take action because, well, I don't have the funds or I don't have the this or that. What, what allowed you to not get hung up in those ways? Um, so I got really entrenched in investing and um, learned about hard money, which is asset-based lending, which wasn't something I was familiar with. Started building those relationships with the hard money lenders. And of course, I had referred my clients, so I built that relationship. And that's when I realized I didn't need as much money as I thought I did. Or in some cases, like more recently during the pandemic, I actually acquired new properties with no money out of my pocket. Actually, one of them, the seller paid me to take over their cash flowing property with a tenant in it. And so were you doing these subject to, were you doing these, like what were the methods you were doing to buy zero out of pocket? 
subject to subject to is my favorite creative finance tool. So let's talk about it because a lot of people are becoming aware of it through amazing content creators like Pace Morby and so on and so forth. But still, they struggle, right? There's a, still a sales process and a process to get sellers on board with these terms. So what was your process to learn enough about this to be able to communicate it clearly and succinctly? So I had actually learned about it back around 2003, 2004. I did my first subject two in 2005. And perfect example, there was an agent in my office who was running around saying, who wants a listing on Lake Lanier? Lake Lanier is a big lake we have here. It's where everybody goes. You know, it's it's like our, our main like weekend place if you want to go boating. And I thought to myself, wow, why doesn't she want a listing on Lake Lanier? You know, the properties even back in 2005 were, you know, three, 400 grand, 500 grand. And I said, I'll take it. And so when I got the address and I pulled the comps, I said, okay, the house is worth $65,000. That's why she doesn't want to deal with it. Um, but I was intrigued. And at this point I'm in that realtor mentality, right? Signs and yards and getting my name out there. And I said, sure, I'll take it. No problem. Cause I want more business up that way anyway. So I spoke to the owner's family and asked them kind of what was going on. And so they had, um, a family member that was moving to assisted living or yeah, we'll call it assisted living. And I went up to the property, made the appointment, spoke to the seller went up there, drove about 55 minutes. And I walked up to this cute little pink cottage, it was pink and white, and knocked on the door. And the front door was full glass. You could see straight into the place. And the seller came to the door and um, she just kind of looked at me and cracked the door open. And I told her who I was. And she just looked at me and she said, well, today's not a good day. And at that point, I realized all of her senses weren't, her faculties weren't all there. So I'm scoping the house as I'm talking to her. It was all of 900 square feet. And I said, look, I, I drove almost an hour. Is it okay if, if I come through and just take a quick look? And she said, well, you look like a nice girl. I think that'll be okay. So I was in and out of the house pretty much in five minutes. It was full of stuff, multiple cat litter boxes. Um, and I thought to myself, I have to find a way to buy this place. And, um, for multiple so, reasons. So why was it, why was it that thought, right? I mean, you're driving an hour, there's, it's a tiny house with a ton of stuff. Why is like, I have to buy this house versus, yeah, this is, this is small and, and not nice. Because I can see past all the junk. I could see past all the dishes in the sink. I could see past all the boxes. I could see past everything. And I had always wanted a place on Lake Lanier. Um, and realizing that she wasn't all there, I'm like, this is going to be a challenge to put on the market. If an agent comes up here, tries to show the property, and she came to the door in a nightgown. I had concerns for her safety. So I scoped everything out. I thanked her for her time. I asked her if it would be okay if I walked around the outside of the house with my husband. She said, fine, no problem. I got back, I called the family, and I said to them, look, I have some concerns. And that's when they said she had had a stroke and it had affected her mentally. And I told them, I'm concerned if someone goes up there to show it, the agents are gonna get frustrated or I'm concerned for her safety. I said, at the end of the day, what is your goal? And they said to walk away. And I said, okay, well, do you wanna make any money? It's worth what she owes. They said, we just wanna walk away and have maybe two or three weeks to move her out. And I said- Now you, so were, that you were saying earlier that she wanted 300, right? Or 400 or no? No, that's what, the, that's what properties were going for. Oh, I see. 
Got it. That was the the agent in my office that I was like, why don't you want a listing up there? Because it was a it was yeah. a decent price. Now you, and yeah, now you can't push. Right, correct. Um, but I was like I said, I was okay. So I then explained to the family members what subject two was. And I told them, you won't pay any closing costs. They're like, we have to clean the property out. I said, don't worry about cleaning the property out. I will take care of it. Take what you want. Whatever you don't want to take, leave. I will trash out the house. And so I bought that place for 1400 bucks. I took over the mortgage, paid the closing costs, and I still have it. So you bought the property for 1400 bucks out of your pocket, and then you just took over her existing mortgage? Correct. And then later on, we did a um, your typical year cash out refi because you don't want to keep, I mean, with subject to the ideas, acquire the property and then do a cash out refi, not have a property for 20 years in someone else's name. So let's go ahead and walk through the details. What did it cost to clean up? How much repairs did you need to do? Oh gosh. Um, clean up. I trashed it. We trashed it out ourselves. We just took stuff to the dump. Um, what did we do? We probably spent, we put in all hardwood floors. My husband and I are DIYers. So we did the hardwood floors. We tiled the bathroom floors. We painted the interior. And I ripped out the old Formica countertops and, and had someone come in and put down granite. Oh God, we're talking almost 20 years ago. I don't know, 70 grand, maybe. Yeah, very little. Material costs were very different back then. So And we did the work and, yeah. and I know how to shop the sales. <laughs> yeah, right. So so you're, you're into this thing for what, $75,000 or something like that? Not even yeah. What? Oh yeah. What was? Yeah. What did it appraise for? What'd you get? Would you pull out on a loan? So it appraised for one hundred and twenty-five thousand. A couple of years later, I don't remember when exactly. Um, we paid off the first and the second, and I took over. She had two mortgages. One was at seven percent, and the other one was at ten. But I didn't care, and so we refinanced, pulled cash out, and I think we refied it around five percent. So cashed out, kept almost the same payment, and that little place now is worth probably that three fifty. And I have not added square footage. That's my dream. Well, and you're on the lake there, right? So it's probably Airbnbable. If you guys want to go that route, you guys could probably make thousands and thousands a month. Airbnb being a property on the lake. Yep. And now I'm not on the water. I'm one property away from the water and the boat ramp. We're in a community with a boat ramp. Yeah. And so this was your first deal? This is my first subject to deal. Yep. Everyone who listens to our show knows Tim and I are passionate about obtaining financial freedom through real estate investing. We also know that everyone's situations and goals are different. And while there are programs out there that show you a path to financial freedom, many of these programs are just too cookie cutter and don't take your personality, situation, and desired outcome into account. Think about the number of times that you've watched a guru online and tried to do the exact same thing as they did, but had nowhere near the same results. You are not alone. When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. The results prove this out. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secrets that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. This is not something that we're okay with. The benefit of working with Tim and I is that we are interviewing between five and 20 people every single week we have accumulated hundreds of seven-figure strategies 
and got an inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs. We're able to work with you to pick the strategy that will best fit and then help you create the custom plan to take you quickly into financial freedom. As a former math teacher, I always taught my students that the fastest way between two points is a straight line. If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us. And let's get you on a straight line path to freedom. So what, what did that do for you? I mean, did that just like make you want to do a hundred of them or, or what happened from there? Uh, that gave me the confidence to be like, okay, this really works and I can really do this. Um, I hadn't, uh, I hadn't done another one for several years. It just, most people want their money. Most people don't understand the concept and, and you really have to have trust in someone to make sure that they're going to make those mortgage payments because that mortgage stays in that person's name and that's their credit history. And you don't want to mess with someone's credit history. No, I a hundred percent agree. And so let's, once you to subject to now, what's your, is your strategy? Like you'll just use all the tools available at your disposal or are you more a little bit like pace morbid where you're like, I just will do subject to now. It's funny because I was just listening to him like an hour ago. Um, I have not had any luck with seller finance. Um, I purchased or I acquired two properties during the pandemic subject to from the same seller, from someone that I had spoken to five or six years before about putting her properties on the market and they didn't make sense because she was upside down. And uh, she actually reached out to me January of 2020. She's like, hey, do you remember those two properties? I, and I'm not a hounder, I'm not gonna hound you. And somebody said to me yesterday, like, you didn't follow up like every six weeks. I said, no, we were friends on Facebook. She'd comment, I'd comment. And she called me January, 2020 and said, do you remember those two properties? I said, yes. She said, um, guy next door put lipstick on a pig and God told me it's time to sell. That's a, that's a really interesting, cause I've heard that a lot as an agent, like people calling me up saying, God told me to sell. Right. Which is a very interesting scenario in the sense that like, whether or not, you know, it's true. It's like, you usually means a big discount, right? Like what was your take on that negotiation? So it wasn't even really a negotiation. I went over, I looked at the property, I pulled the comps and I said, okay, the guy next door really didn't put lipstick on a pig, but you're not upside down anymore. You'll make some money. I'm happy to come over. And I said, we can either put it on the market or maybe I'll think about buying it. And she started asking me questions that if we put it on the market, would the tenant have to move out? And I said, yes. I mean, at some point in time, unless it's another investor that's okay keeping the tenant in there, yeah, she's going to have to move. At the end of the day, that was her concern. She didn't want to displace an eight-year tenant that had been a great tenant. So at that point, I had already explained subject two to her and asked her about it because there was some deferred maintenance and it was something that she was open to. So after I finished walking the house and my husband was in the crawl space, she looked at me and she said, okay, she's like, what are you thinking? And I said, God, it's the original, sorry, it's the original, um, 1970 kitchen cabinets, appliances, flooring. The house was completely dated, except that she had a new roof and she had a new HVAC system. And so, you know, we talked and I came down the steps and I said, she's like, what do you think? I explained the condition of the property and she said, I was thinking five. And I know which I knew what she meant. I figured she wanted five grand. And I'm gonna kill these dogs today. And um I said, well, let me see. So 
she said, no, I want to pay you $5,000. And I said, wait, what? And so I asked her what's going on and I shut up. I said, what's going on? I know you have a dog. I know you have a, I know you have a dog. Sorry. I know you have a family member who's in the military. You have a son in the military. You have a grandson that's six or seven by now. What's going on? And she said, yes, I have a son in the military. I actually have two. And my grandson is seven. And she said, I just want to walk away. My whole family is in Florida. I am not cut out to be a landlord. And I just want to walk away. And so that's what we did. We got outside. I told her, I can't take five grand. I don't feel right about it. And she said, but after everything you've done for me, and I'm saying to myself, I haven't done anything but told you the truth. And that's what we did. We closed two weeks later. Kept the tenant in there, slightly raised the rent. We closed March the 13th. Friday the 13th is the pandemic and the world shut down the week after. And I thought, oh my God. <laughs> right. Yes. We closed on a property that we ended up renovating two weeks before the pandemic. How much, how, like what was going on mentally for you after, like when we got news of the pandemic, like how did that shape your outlook for the next couple of weeks? Um, a lot. My husband lost his job, got laid off. Uh, you know, I was just crossing my fingers that the tenant would keep paying the rent. Like nobody knew what was going to happen, right? Like we had no clue what was going on or what was going to happen. Um, at the end of the day, real estate went through the roof. I, I don't think anybody expected that. And uh, throughout that almost a whole other year, she kept asking me, do you want the other property? No. You sure you want the other property? No, it's too far. <laughs> um, and then a year later, I wound up buying her other property. She had been paying a mortgage on a property that was vacant for four years because the property management company left such a bad taste in her mouth. I, at the end of the day, saved her $900 a month that she was able to put back in her pocket. And so you're obviously starting to accumulate properties. Where, where, where does that take you? Do you just start really ramping up at that point? Or are you just continually buying one here, one there? Yeah, I'm just for right now, I'm buying one here, one there. Um, if the opportunity presents itself and, and, you know, I feel that someone's open to it, I will have that discussion. And I think that's kind of where I get a little bit frustrated with real estate agents where they're like, oh, you, oh, you, you've stolen a property from someone. I'm like, no, I gave them exactly what they wanted. And at the end of the day, putting a sign in the yard for both of those properties w didn't solve her problem. She just wanted a clean break. Like I want out. And, um, I have another one that I actually wound up selling to someone else. I actually had another guy that was kind of a similar situation and, um, it wasn't in an area that I'm interested in. So I passed it on to someone else. And he, his whole thing was he didn't want anybody walking through the house because he was embarrassed of the condition of the home. Yeah. And so you've been teaching agents for, for at least three years on how to flip the switch. Like what have you noticed has been the reception from agents as you're you know, trying to educate them? Um, for the most part, it has been like, oh my gosh. So my book's on Amazon and it was really great to see a lot of the feedback that I had from people that had purchased the books. It was like, I never thought I could do this. This is really easy because I put my case studies in there. Like I, I tell you the whole story. I wrote the book. It wasn't that someone else wrote it. Those are my words. And it's tiny but mighty is what I tell people because it's only like 85 pages long. <laughs> but it's all solid content. And so I think most of them are receptive. And as I've had more of these conversations, especially during the pandemic with a couple of other agents where 
buyers agents couldn't get their clients offers accepted and they're spinning their wheels and spinning their wheels. And I flat out asked one woman because we were, we became close and she said, my husband wants me to retire, but I can't, I'm 65. And I asked her, I said, well, why can't you retire? And she said, I don't have any retirement. I have to keep selling houses. And I flat out asked her, do you own any other real estate assets? And she said, I own my home. And so it leads me to believe how many times have there been opportunities that probably agents have been exposed to and they just didn't know, right? I mean, I was just listening to Pace Morby, as you mentioned, and he's like, real estate agents, you all think that this is like illegal. It's not. There, there's documentation, there's IRS code for all, which I didn't even know. There's IRS code for this, there's legal forms for this. And, you know, at the end of the day is how can you find a win-win solution if putting a sign in the yard does not sell, solve that person's problem? And it may be a fit for you. And if it's not a fit for you, like I have hedge funds, I have investor buyers that if it doesn't fit my buy box, I've got other buyers. Yeah. Well, and this was one of the main ways that properties were transferred back in the 80s. Like, I mean, when the interest rates were much higher and, and, I mean, especially when you go back even further than that, where banks weren't as active in the mortgage market, sometimes that was the only way properties could be transferred uh, right. was through subject to or, or some other ways, or seller, seller finance, finance et cetera. Yeah. 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 So what do you see as your vision for the next 12 to 18 months? So my vision for the next 12 to 18 months is to get out there and teach as many agents as, as possible because Atlanta's still a very hot market. Some markets are shifting. Um, we still don't have enough inventory and people need to remember that real estate markets are very niche down. Um, they're micro markets. So in the suburbs where I am, we're still seeing multiple offers. Prices are still going up. We still only have two months of inventory across our entire MLS. And so I think it's getting real estate agents to really think outside the box and truly become a consultant to people and just not think about it as one transaction. I now have clients that yes, I've sold them their homes and now they're coming to me and say, Hey, Lorraine, I want to invest with you. Right. And so I have been today and yesterday in a, in a workshop or a replay of an event on possibly creating a fund to go big, do bigger things. Um, affordable housing is also another big passion project of mine. Even when we did our fix and flips, my typical house was a, a nine to 1100 square foot brick bungalow that anybody could get into. And I was actually just appointed to uh, an advisory board for a tiny home developer out of Florida. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. I, I went down, I met with them. We had great conversation. And so at the end of the day is, is giving as many people as possible the American dream and also teaching real estate agents, hey, real estate is still the number one way to build wealth as far as I'm concerned. Why aren't you doing it? Why aren't you investing in the thing that you sell every day? And really giving them that, you know, that ability to have some passive income or some major event happens or a health event happens like I've had with my spouse this year. I have passive income that I don't have to worry about going to sell that next house and make that next commission check. It's 100%. Yeah. We had an interview a few weeks ago where, you know, uh, the guy that we were interviewing, his child was born premature and he's like, praise God that I was able to not have to uh, be at work for those couple months when I could be with my child, you know, in the NICU and all that stuff. There's a lot that happens in our lives, you know, out of our control. And, and that's obviously why we call the freedom chasers. The beauty of being able to live life on our own terms when we need to, especially is it's a huge part of what we do. So awesome. Thanks for sharing. And so for guys, for those of you out there listening, like take down something that you learned from today. I mean, she 
gave you some examples of not one, but multiple subject to deals where she got someone offered to pay her to take a property, which is just crazy. So Lorraine, thank you for sharing about your life and your business. And guys, write down something you learned, share it with somebody you know so they can hold you accountable. Freedom is acquired one action at a time. And if you take steps day by day before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. We thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next one. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Engagement is like gold to us. We can't do what we're doing without it. Reviews and subscriptions, particularly on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, are worth more than money. So please do what you can to support the show. 